Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, as he is every Tuesday, my esteemed colleague, Olga Nulich. Olgs, what's going on? Not too much, just another cloudy day in Melbourne. Melbourne it- is just a singular cloud that is over my head at all times, and then blue skies in the distance. It's good to be here. I actually thought you were talking about the weather, but you're talking about Melbourne United, I think. Ah, well done. Well, good on you. We are going to it's get to Melbourne you. United a bit later in this podcast, and uh, we've got plenty to get through. James Duncan, no longer the head coach in Brisbane. We will break that down. That's happened since last Tuesday when we recorded this podcast. Uh, we need to talk about this Sydney Cairns game last night. Mm. That, uh, if they're going to have Monday night games, make them games like this. It was a beauty. It went to overtime, so there is plenty to get to, and... Uh, you've released your tiers, your championship contending tiers on ESPN.com.au, and uh, I'll say that's an interesting read. Uh, <laughs> if you're from uh, the top end of Queensland, potentially, you might want to read this and send through the hate mail to Olgan. I, I want to start a petition that we should only have Sydney Cairns games mm. until the end of time. They've somehow played three times already, every game. They match up really well against each other. They they go toe-to-toe. I, I want to see that every every week. It went to overtime, 94-88. This was a long game of basketball. And yeah. as a fan of quick games, a good game, particularly, uh, you definitely become a little more selfish once you're working in yeah. the business. And you're like, come on, let's get this game over with. <laughs> let's get to the press conference. Let's have some great basketball. Uh, there was a lot of fouls. And uh, Chase Buford's post-game press conference was must-watch. And I think it was pretty predictable that he was going to come in steaming up about the way that this game was officiated but 32 fouls uh, called on the Kings in this game Keanu Pinder went to the free throw line for 20 attempts Xavier Cooks was fouled out in this game Uh, and I think a couple of those fouls I think it's fair to say were questionable let me ask you about one in particular though the offensive foul it was his fourth foul he was posting up Sam Wardenberg and it was a flop Sam and they said on the commentary, Sam Wardenberg was made that decision way before Xavier Cooks began that move. We knew we knew he'd go down on that second bump, and it it's ah, there are so many calls like this in the NBL which are fouls, and if you challenge them, they will still be called fouls. <laughs> but if they weren't called, we would be completely fine with them not being called fouls, right? And I think that's one of them, right? Especially when it's just such an obvious. Like, he went down like a sack of potatoes, right? And given the nature of the game, the, it, was really, it was really competitive. It was high octane, the two fastest teams in the league. Like, we want to see guys out there. I was surprised after that game when I looked at the box where I saw Zabe Cooks only played 20 minutes. He had 25 and 10 in 20 minutes, <laughs> he right? Dominant. He is on a completely different stratosphere to anyone else in the league. And it's just unfortunate that that's, that's how his night had to end. Because um, then when overtime came, you could sort of tell that Cairns had the momentum and, and not having Zabe Cooks in there took away just a giant defensive piece for them um, like it's unfortunate there's still a sense that these refs really don't know how to officiate consistently when it comes to those kind of bigger dynamic forwards um, and that's like Pinder is one example where I don't, I don't think they know how to officiate against him I think they give him the benefit of, that, of the doubt a lot because he's so kind of dynamic and erratic in the way he gets to the rim but Zabe Cooks, obviously a veteran, doesn't get that same treatment. 12 times he was fouled in this game, Keanu Pinder. And just last one on the flopping. So we've had this conversation before, and I've said this with NBA as well. I don't blame Sam Wardenberg for this. No. 
because if they continually get rewarded for the behavior, they're going to keep doing it. And I just thought it was so obvious in real time watching on, on broadcast and the official is two meters away. Yeah. So if someone violently throws their head back and flops to the floor and basically just gives up their feet and says, well, I'm just going to hit the deck, don't call it. What's the call there though? Do you, do you, do you not call it? Do you no, no give call. a flop warning? No, yeah, yeah. No call. Xavier would have probably scored and it's a flop warning. See, the thing about that play, though, is that Xavier Cooks did kind of run through his chest to an extent, enough that a, a foul is warranted. But I, I feel like it's, I feel like it'd be a giant self-correction to say that's not a foul at all and just to give the a flop warning. I, I don't know. I feel... Well, I agree with the sentiment, but I just I don't want it to, like, to self-correct so much that they're just doing it to send a message. Like, we don't want any flopping. We don't want anyone to, like, take it in the chest in the post. Like, you do want guys to take it, and if they fall, they fall. Like, I, giving, giving too much of the benefit of the doubt might kind of self-correct too far the wrong direction. So if, if, again, you don't want big men just doing whatever they want in the post. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But if yeah. someone, very obviously, which in my opinion, this was very obvious, decides that I'm just going to hit the deck and search for a whistle... I think you can see it. I think I can, you can see that. I can agree with that. When there's like a, a, such an obvious decision, you can tell that Sam Sam Mortenberg was going down. As soon as you can see that intent there, then okay, that person is is hunting for that foul. I I, I can agree to an extent. Don't give him that. Uh, and to your point, so the Kings plus twelve in Xavier Cook's minutes, and then in the twenty five minutes he wasn't on the floor. They're minus eighteen. So yeah. he was the difference in this game. And Keanu Pinder again whatever you want to say about the officiating he had 30 points and 13 rebounds in this game it was some there was some record that they set on the broadcast first Taipans player to put up those numbers in in well over a decade so uh, he continues to be in the MVP com- conversation I didn't throw this at you but who would be your three MVP finalists right now uh it would be Zave Cooks mm-hmm. uh right now Mitch Creek and a third it would probably See, is it weird? Okay, so in my mind, it probably should be a Taipan. But is it Keanu Pinder? Is it DJ Hogue? I think DJ. I think both are quality defenders. I think DJ Hogue is probably more an effective defender. Um, and then he's their closer as well. I feel like they they can sort of be like a 3A and 3B. And then they're, in the way that Cairns has such a tight rotation that guys can put up numbers and, and be really prominent... New Zealand seems like the opposite, where they have so many guys who can go yeah. and create, so many guys who can produce. So that I don't know who you'd put up there, but like a, a Derek Pardon is maybe the actual most valuable player in the in the NBL. You know, it it could be like a Will McDowell White or a Jarrell Brantley. Like these guys sort of just like take turns in being the guy for that team. But I think three A and three B, I'd go like a Pinder Hogue situation. Yeah, last year the Jack Jumpers made the grand final. They didn't have an MVP candidate. And I don't think they gave a stuff about that. And that's why I think the Breakers are this year's Jack Jumpers said it very early in the season with better offense. Yep. And we can get to the Breakers a little bit later in this podcast. I think it's Pinder for mine. Pinder Creek, Cooks. Pinder think, is number one for you? Uh, no, just the three finals. Oh, yes, 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 I would yes, have yes. those three as my MVP finalists right now. And Pinder's a great story. Uh, there's no question. And the Taipans are two and one against the Kings. And as you said, a little bit different last night. Last night was more defensive yep. than the other two games that they played. Uh, but nonetheless, they have found ways to win, whether it's a lower-scoring game, a higher-scoring game, and uh, overall, they are now the 
the third ranked defense. So I think that surprises people. They look at the Cairns Taipans, they think that they're scoring. I want to come back to Cairns later though, because okay. when we get to your tiers, which again, they've just gone live at ESPN.com.au, make sure you check them. And if you're a Taipans fan, you want to see this list, I can assure you. It's not that bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell you what is bad. What? Coaching changes mid-season. They're never great. Never great. The Brisbane Bullets, three and six on the season. Uh, we discussed earlier in the season what was going to happen with this team, whether it was roster moves, the possibility of a coaching move. But from your side of the fence, break down what happened here with the Brisbane Bullets and particularly why this happened now. That is a question that no one in the league knows the answer to. I don't even know if the Bullets know the answer to that question. Why now? They went 0-5. They went into a FIBA break where they very well could have made this decision. They had been mulling over this decision since they were 0-5, right? And so this this isn't something new. This has been at the, the top of brain for them. And it was just Peter McLennan, the CEO of that team, went over to the US, met with the ownership, and they decided, all right, we're going to move on from James Duncan. Again, the timing just seemed redundant. Not redundant. It, it seemed... Like, there was no method to the madness there. They just decided, we don't want him, we'll get rid of him. Um, so that was weird. The replacement situation is weird, in which they just asked Sam McKinnon, would you like to take over the team? It was a, an ob- like a yes. And so now Sam McKinnon is the head coach of this team. Everyone around the league is confused at what's going on in Brisbane, and no one has any idea what their plan is moving forward. I've heard two different sides of it i've heard some people say they have someone lined up and someone's coming in from america i've heard one side say sam mckinnon is preparing himself to coach out the rest of the season so i have a feeling that they are just sort of flailing right now yeah it's bizarre because you just came off the fever break so i and you know i spoke to sam and this the story again up at espn.com.au how many plugs can i get in a podcast maybe as many as you can all of them (sighs) 20 free throws for keanu pinder last night 21 plugs for me on this podcast we'll see if we can get there but uh yeah i was I, I spoke to sam on the day where he took the job and yeah he sounded a little bit you know flustered by the scenario because of the timing that it was it came out friday morning they had practice friday morning saturday they had to fly to new zealand and then go up against the breakers team which is as difficult a challenge as any across the league right now but i asked him i said if you're the gm how are you being the coach of this team when there is also an import that this team needs and that's your job yeah. and and he said well you know maybe i'll only be coaching for a week but maybe i'll be coaching a little bit longer i guess we'll just see what happens and it just sounds really messy and it sounds uh seems like they don't really at this point know what they're doing well like i i know for a fact that sam mckinnon is still reaching out to uh, agents, people around the league, as far as trying to find that three-four import that they're looking for, um, they don't have a name yet. They're still looking, and so Sam McKinnon is now a man who has to try and regather this team that is looking really shaky right now. Aaron Baines was injured last game. That's important to note. But they, they lost Tyrell Harrison for six to eight weeks now. They they don't look great, right? And a lot of it is with the greatest respect he's doing as far as the roster construction and he has to try and build this team up this team that he recruited while also trying to fit another piece in in a season that is really close to being lost and so I they're in a, a less than ideal situation right now and I, I the fix was 
something we've known for years, which is go get an import point guard. That's that's the way you fix this team. Now they're sort of flailing as an organization. Um, and again, I just don't know what I don't know what the future holds for this team. They've paid Aaron Baines a lot of money and decided not to put a team around him that's conducive to winning. I don't know. Yeah, the offense has clearly been the problem for this team, and that was what Sam alluded to. They were near the bottom of the league. Well, actually, they're only ahead of the Illawarra Hawks in terms of offensive rating. There's a bunch of different offensive numbers that look really ugly, and then they got the doors blown off them in New Zealand. Uh, so now you look at it and you say, okay, well, you're 3-7. and seven. Two of your wins have come against the Illawarra Hawks, who are 1-10 and 10 on the year. We said at the start of the season this is a really even NBL, and I think that that is the case. Uh, but, as always, there's starting to be separation. And Brisbane is dropped off. Illawarra, done. Melbourne United are teetering on the edge, and we could get to them in just a little bit. Because there is a top six, Brisbane doesn't have to give up. But I guess overall, we discussed it. This was very predictable that they were going to have a slow start. A road-heavy schedule to start the season. Sobey hasn't played. Baines hasn't played. Tyler Johnson hasn't played either, really. If you look at it, he's only played a handful of games, really, over the course of the last 18 months. So maybe they should have won a couple of those other games. They lose by one point to Southeast Melbourne. They actually really challenged Cairns mm. in the last game that James Duncan coached. And I know that this is just, you look back and say, well, if things change. But if they did win two of those games and they were five and four, are they still making the move? I, I don't know, but I, I just... I'm not sure that in the middle of the season with the personnel they have and understanding that guys are still working their way into basketball, Sobey shooting 35% on the season, I don't know that a head coaching change is going to turn this around. Like, whatever you think of James Duncan as a head coach, he wasn't the problem. They have a lot of other issues that they've had to overcome. It doesn't seem like he got a fair go. No. Um, granted, he had a first season with them, so, like, he... He was able to do something, but this season was practically as in if, if the expectation internally was for them to come out this come out of the gate strong, when we all knew they wouldn't, because they had a tough road schedule, they had guys sort of coming back from injuries, like you said. Then if that was the expectation, then obviously he wasn't going to last it. But the but if that it, it would be baffling why that would be the expectation, um, and it was Dejan Vasiljevic. <laughs> decided to to tweet about it and he's not completely wrong it it goes beyond the head coach like it wasn't it wasn't all Andre Lamanis it wasn't all James Duncan like and they're just the, the getting getting rid of those two is effectively just cop outs right there is a, a a larger issue in that organization and then they're clearly not addressing it we'll see uh, what happens with the prison bullets but when you do acquire whether it's fair or not when you acquire Aaron Baines, you acquire Tyler Johnson in particular, those two, people expect that at minimum you can make the top six and this feels like a team that that's slipping away so as we've seen time and time again the way these things usually work, there'll be a roster change, the next person to get the blame is the coach yep. and then if it still doesn't work out then usually it looks a little bit deeper so we'll see what happens with the Bullets here over the next uh, few months, whether they get a coach whether they get a player, and there's still a lot of time and that's the thing. They could, they are still very much in reach of the top six, but it would take a pretty sharp turnaround. And I like, I've, and I've said this from the start, I like their depth, right? DJ Mitchell looks really, really good, mm -hmm. right? He's shooting it super well. Like, I don't think getting a 3-4 a is what they need to be competitive. He's, I think, completely fine as a starter in the NBL, right? Point, I think he point can, guard? They get a point guard. 
Like, they, they have a, a roster that has Aaron Baines with a bunch of other centers and a whole bunch of shooting guards, right? Go get a point guard. We've been crying for one next to Sobey for years. They promised him before the season that they'd put an import point guard next to him. They still haven't done it. it it's just baffling why the, so many teams who need point guards are just scared to go get them. I think the room for improvement is, is Tyler Johnson. He's been mm. really efficient. He's 51% on twos, 47% on threes, so he's been an efficient scorer can they find a way for him to run the offense? But speaking of guys running the offense, Xavier Rattan Mays. Now, we went to another Melbourne United game where the press conference was interesting. Now, <laughs> earlier in the season, for those that missed this, Dean Vickerman drew some pretty serious criticism for referencing Jack White when talking about Jordan Caroline, who is no longer with United. On the weekend... He made a comparison between Xavier Rattan Mays and Shea Ely, who is still out with concussion. We don't really know when he's going to come back. And ultimately, unfortunately, his availability through the rest of the season is going to be up in the air because of the lingering concussion stuff that he's had. He's probably one knock away from his season being over, and Dean Vickerman said as much. So they're being very cautious, which we understand why that would be the case. But they don't have a point guard. And this is, even though this was the, the direct week where Vickerman made reference to Shaili, specifically mentioning Xavier Rattan-Mays, because you asked him, by the way, which is a fantastic question. Did I ask him? I don't know. I probably asked him. We don't... Give yourself some credit. Thank you. We we ask super fair questions in these presses, and we're very fortunate, and I'll say this, Dean Vickerman is very honest. I've also asked some stinkers over my time, so we don't want to give ourselves too much credit. This is very true. But look... Dean, Dean Vickerman is super honest with us, and we appreciate that. Mm. Um, and I think the context of the answer is also important, right? It wasn't just a... It, it wasn't a, a flagrant, Xavier Rattan-Mays is not as good as Shea Ely. It was... No. We have recruited this team for people to play certain roles, and the role that Shea Ely's skill set allows him to play is something that is just not what Xavier Rattan-Mays does. In the same way that if you want Shea Ely to come off the bench and be a gunner, He's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. He can't do that because that's what that's what X does. And so, again, it, it's very it's going to be really easy for people to grab a soundbite and just to look at that quote in a vacuum. Um, the context around it is important, but the actual sentiment is also very important. As far as this team just doesn't have those perimeter creators who can get them into their stuff, right? They, they throw Lockie Barker in for fourteen minutes. He's just he's not a point guard in the NBL. And so I think he was a minus 14 mm. in his minutes, right? So there's just, there's no way for this team to function consistently offensively when you have Xavier Rattan Mays doing his thing and he's shooting it at a good clip. But when push comes to shove and they need some reliability, someone to come in and be a floor general and settle what they do, sort of like a Derek Walton Jr., like a Shannon Scott, like a Shea Early, they don't have that with Xavier Rattan Mays. So that was the sentiment. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that this was anything flagrant from it wasn't a shot Vickerman. yeah I, I don't think so but it'll definitely be made out to be that way and yeah. I think for a United team that is clearly under pressure that could it's not helpful it, I don't think it's helpful it could drive um, some more criticism and more heat uh, their way and I'm certain people that may perhaps haven't watched all the press conferences and weren't in that press conference on the weekend will blow this up to be a big deal but it does bring us to the point here so they're five and eight I don't know how they lost that game against Tasmania. They led, for, they led for 37 and a half minutes. This was about as painful as you could get for a team that just desperately needs a win. But 
Ritar Mays has been a good player this year for Melbourne. Yes. Efficient scorer. He's been exactly as advertised. But I think more broadly, and you asked the question, is this going to be the roster moving forward? Because you know, Melbourne can keep you know, trotting along. And at the moment, they're a mediocre team at best. So do they just let it keep sliding? Because clearly, to Dean's words, if... Ratan Mays and Lucky Barker and Rajon Tucker, these guys that have been forced into playing this point guard role, aren't capable of doing what they want offensively. We see roster changes all the time. It doesn't mean all the time that guys are bad players in this league because I think they've all had really good moments. Tucker, again, has been pretty damn good the last four games. But if they don't fit, how long do you keep persisting? Well, it was the point of when I asked him that question and he he made it clear that they are acting as though this is the team they're going to finish the season with. But they can. But they keep talking about how Xavier Rattan Mays doesn't fit that Shea Illy role. They keep talking about, or we, we keep hearing that Shea Illy is practicing and he's, like, he's symptom-free, but they have to be cautious, right? And rightly so. And so if you're going to have that volatility around Illy's injury and you have a guy like XRM who he's he's not just going to change the way he... He's not suddenly going to develop a new skill set or a new style of play. Like, he is what he is. That's not fair to ask that. Well, yeah. Well, and, and so, it's, if, if that's a position that you're in, then it's either you make a change or you keep trying stuff that you know is... There's maybe a 5% chance that Illy is going to play the rest of the season and XRM is going to fill that role. Like, it's... Without a change you're sort of just destined for the same stuff over and over again. And they're three and six at home at this point. Yeah, they, they're, it's going to be tough. They're like that game that game against Tasmania, there was a game against Cairns earlier in the season. These are games that you have to win. You have to pick up. And I know the season's been a bit weird from a road win perspective, but you have to pick up those cheap wins at home. I say cheap wins in the sense that they had those games sort of like, they were theirs to lose toward the end of those games. You have to win those. And if you don't, you're put in a really tough position and 5-8 and eight is really not a great place to be right now. It's not. Uh, Adelaide now, and we might talk about them in a little bit here, but they're now 5-5 five and five and they're in the sixth spot. So three games back in the loss column, Melbourne from even just the play-in. So they would really have to... It would be a pretty impressive turnaround. One last point, uh, Chris Golden, I, I don't know what this man has to do to get shots. And all this is the same problem and the, the offense not functioning and the ball not moving. 13 points in the first quarter. I referenced last week and I wrote a story about it, the fact that when they had a 17-0 run against them playing the Phoenix, Chris Golding had just scored five points and then he didn't touch the ball for the next six offensive possessions in this game. He had 13 points in the first quarter, was absolutely sizzling and then he had three shots total over the next two quarters. Yeah. Did you just republish your story or what? Ah, look, people want to go back and read it, (laughs) ESPN.com.au. But... Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest... He's their best player, their best scorer, their most efficient scorer, the most dangerous weapon in the offense. And too often, they just don't get him the ball. So, yeah, there's problems with Melbourne. We'll keep going to their games and we'll see uh, We'll see how they go over the next few weeks. Not over, but they're in a, in a really fascinating position. And I will say, I'll give a lot of credit to a guy like Rajon Tucker, who started the season a bit up and down, but he's clearly leaning into the way... Vickerman wants him to play, how to be effective in the league. And I think he's been, like, super valuable on both ends. Like, I, I think he's actually... 
he's he's what Dean Vickerman wants from XRM, which is we need you to play this role. And I think Rajon Tucker's lent into it, and I think he's done a really good job. My MVP pick uh, coming hard in the back <laughs> end of the season. All right, let's get to your tiers at ESPN.com.au. My tiers. Uh, do you want to break them down? How you've wrote this story, written this story? I've got it in front of me. Do you want me, or do you want me to roll through? Have you got it? No, I got it. So. I've, I've broken it down into to five tiers, right? You've got favorites, you've got contenders, you have dark horses, mm. you've got work to do, mm. and you've got, what did I call it? I sounded quite, quite, quite miserable. No real hope. Yeah. It sounds bad. Um, so no real hope is obvious, right? It's Illawarra. They've lost nine in a row. It is what it is. Um, I had a ton of consideration to put Brisbane down there too. Um, but... There is some hope. An import coming in gives them some hope. They have talent across like their roster. The top tier talent is good. I I have some hope. So they're in that sort of next up yep. tier, right? Same with Melbourne and uh, Perth. Yep. You agree with me so far? Not bad. Okay. Dark horses. Obviously, you got the Jack Jumpers. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're a team you probably don't want to play. If you're in the top, if you're in the top six, they also want to be the dark horses. They do. That's their comfort level. They, yeah. they love that spot. They trick. They've definitely tricked me into putting them in there. Yeah. And then I got the Cairns Taipans as a dark horse. Okay. Next tier up, contenders, Adelaide Thirty Sixes. Wait a sec. Okay. <laughs> You've got the five and five Adelaide Thirty Sixes as a contender. Yeah. And the Cairns Taipans, who we started this podcast, they're seven and four. They're two and one against the ladder leaders. The the Kings have only lost three games all season. Two of them have come to the Cairns Taipans. And you've got the Taipans as a dark horse and Adelaide as a contender. What's that all about? You're way too prepared for this. I I'm not basing it based on the entire season. If you look at what the thirty sixes have done recently, mm-hmm. the way they've played since they got rid of Craig Randall, the fact that they still have an import to come, we'll see what that looks like. They're still having they're still looking around. I think they have depth. I think um they're being really cautious with those Daniel Johnson minutes and so them rotating that center spot I think gives them a ton of defensive potential. I think them getting Rob Franks more involved is conducive to them winning more games and them being an actual contender. I think the ball being in Mitch McCarron's hands a lot is also something that's conducive to them being a contender. I like the extended minutes for Anthony Drimmick. I like the extended minutes for Sunday Detch. They are putting themselves in position to be a quality on both ends. And so I, I put them above that. Cairns, I'd obviously rate. Mm. Keanu Pinder, DJ Hogue playing MVP sort of basketball. I like Shannon Scott a lot. The Tajir McCall question is still something that's sort of floating above my brain right now. I wonder how he fits. I didn't think it was perfect yesterday. Um, I question their depth a little bit. Um, and then I just also think they're quite young too, which, uh, which Adelaide isn't. Adelaide has a ton of vets on that team. And so, look, there's, there's not too much of a distinction between dark horses and contenders. I just think Adelaide, you know, that... Their defensive potential, their top-tier talent, and their depth, I think, makes sense for them to be in that contender slot. Okay. Do you disagree? Uh, I genuinely, or generally, I should say, don't love lumping too many teams in the contender bracket because I think that's pretty elite. If if you're a contender, you're among the real top teams in the league. So I, I don't think we necessarily need to extend the contender category to too many teams. My only pushback would probably be 
just a little bit more of a, and I'm a very optimistic about Adelaide but mm. maybe just a little hold on Adelaide put them down to the to the dark horse okay. category but you know, perhaps you're getting ahead of the ahead of everyone jumping back on the 36ers so you know, if they start Kai Soto at centre as you, you know <laughs> I've been <laughs> suggesting stop that that's a contender sure do you agree with South East Melbourne as a, as a contender no I do yeah so M- Modi Mayo called them the most talented team in the league I think on paper they are um they just look really... They're, they're so talented. Yeah. they got so many weapons. Uh, Mitch Creek, yeah, he looks like an MVP. Um, like, they're putting the ball in Trey Kell's hands a lot. Gary Brown, this is absurd. He's averaging eight and a half assists a game. Mm. That's unreal. When guys were averaging, like, six or seven assists over the past few seasons, we talk about them. It's like, oh, what? that's amazing. That's tough to do in, you know, 40-minute games, whatever. He's This is pretty incredible. I feel like people aren't talking about that enough because there is so much talent on that team. And it looks like they're finding their balance too. They know when Brockoff is going to get his shots. He knows where his shots are coming from. Same with Mitch Creek. Like, Alan Williams is doing his thing. Like, they're so talented and they're not even completely healthy yet. They are. I'm, I'm curious about the defense. So, Simon Mitchell has been incredibly entertaining the last couple of press <laughs> conferences. I love it. He's been calling out the media journos for not giving this team enough respect for their defense. But I do find it a little bit interesting because I said, let's talk about your defense. You beat the Illawarra Hawks. And he started the question by saying, uh, I don't think it was great today. We had moments defensively. So basically said, ah, it wasn't the perfect performance. But then finished his question by saying, but no one's going to give us credit for our defense because we only played <laughs> Illawarra. So my only pushback for Simon is, is the media not giving you enough credit for the defense? Or are you not giving your team enough credit for the defense? Because it feels like he's he's sitting on the fence a little bit. Like, I also agree with him that, unfortunately, when you play these Illawarra Hawks and you guard well against them, you you don't get... You, sh- you shouldn't get too much credit for that, right? Because how much of it is your defense and how much of it is the worst offense, like, statistically, the easy worst offense in the league, right? But I think they've guarded pretty decently... Or the Phoenix have guarded pretty decently over the past few games. They didn't start off too great. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I don't like the sort of pearl clutching over like, how dare you point to data? Cause the data, the data is demonstrable. It's like, it's f- fixed evidence. The Phoenix start, we've had this conversation I don't like using the data for Phoenix though, this season, unless you take out the first five games, because they just, they didn't have any of their guys playing and that does still skew the data so unless you want to remove the first five games and people will push back and say well every team has injuries but this was excessive this was different and I agree with you but we're still allowed to look at the data over the games where they were healthy it's not like there was some elite defensive team like there are still legitimate things that we can talk about there's a couple of Poindexter journos what are we without the data Olgan (laughs) we need the data you're the nerd oh okay Uh, so the Phoenix are looking pretty legit then I assume you have are the Breakers and Kings on the same tier? What are we looking at? Yeah. And that was when I spoke with some people around the league. Some people were thinking, is it a bit premature to put New Zealand up there? Um, I had some people push back and say, is there even a favourite? Is it just a group of contenders? Um, which I can I don't, I don't, can sort of empathise with that sentiment. But yeah, New Zealand's up there. I had one rival GM say to me that they are effing rolling, mm. um, which I loved. Which is true. Factual. They they look extreme. They they are the hottest team in the league right now, um, and I I don't know. They're they're a team that we came into the season as like a con- projected bottom three sort of team, but and I'm so I'm looking at them. I'm thinking, 
at what point is it just very i think it's real and and at what point do we just is anyone not believing in them right now not really on the jump earlier this was after i think they played four games i think or it might have been five games they started four and one uh the jump 8 30 p.m on espn wednesday nights by the way make sure you catch out catch up with that fine television show andrew gaze <laughs> leonard copeland nat edwards uh, Who else? I'm, uh, I'm on there that's a that's a play Pittman. that's a play uh yeah. but i mentioned truth or trash one of the great tv segments they said is it time <laughs> to respect the breakers as a contender this was after five games and i trashed it i said we haven't seen enough yet and again this leans back to my theory that i like to see things play out a little bit i don't want to jump on i don't want to be one of those people that after five weeks is making declarations then after 10 weeks you're changing them then 15 weeks i don't like to do that i like to have some pretty solid uh, thoughts and, and predictions and just let things play out a little bit but uh, since then I think they're 6-1 and one, uh, and the one loss was against Sydney and Sydney really handled it they, yeah. they did that was a dominant win again Xavier Cooks went down uh, in the second quarter but and it got a bit close after that Cooks maybe the MVP but uh, I don't think it can be denied in terms of expectations of what you're going to get what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis particularly defensively mm. Yeah, I think the Breakers are a legit contender. And I've got them... Yeah, I'm looking forward to Thursday night. I'll say that. They play the Phoenix again. Last time the Phoenix went into New Zealand, they destroyed them offensively. The Breakers couldn't do anything with the Phoenix, but they were shooting hot. If you're knocking down your jump shots, you can win. But I would imagine that the Breakers want to get one back on the Phoenix. And Simon Mitchell wasn't afraid to say, hey, we've got a pretty good record against the Breakers in recent times. We're confident. And, and a win over the Phoenix would just be helpful for the psyche of that team. They're confident in themselves. You can tell all of their imports are feeling themselves every game, right? They're, they're talking trash to whoever they can find. A win over the Phoenix, though, would feel would make them feel even more real than well, I think they well, are. Well, if they lose comfortably, then you have to say, well, Sydney's handled them and the Phoenix have handled them twice as well. And, and I think that's the top three right now. Yeah. So... Yeah, they, they wouldn't want to lose comfortably. I would say that would put a bit of a question mark on where they're at. And no doubt, they've already exceeded where I thought they would be. So I was wrong on the Breakers, um, but we'll see on Thursday. No, I'm excited for it. The Breakers, are they're a really fun watch. They they come at, they come at you in waves. Like We've spoken about it all the time. They're like They have so many creators. They know where they're getting their shots. Like they're, they're a very fun team to watch, and they guard the hell out of you. All right, let's wrap this up. So that's Thursday night. That's 5.30 because it's a New Zealand game. So uh, pretty nice treat, actually. Knock off work, go home. There's a pretty high-quality basketball game on. Then you've got Brisbane and Perth after. So uh, those are two teams that are under the pump. So that'll be a fascinating game as well. As I mentioned, the jump, 8.30 p.m. Wednesday night. You've got got a doubleheader. Who we got on? Uh, I don't think I can technically say because I think it's still up in the air. But if the guest... If it happens, it's very exciting. Yeah, if the guest comes through, it'll be a good one. But we will wait and see we'll wait and see um last thing i want to i just want to touch on this super quick because i wrote it down mm-hmm. and you said we go back to cans but we we always oh, sort of did um adam ford in one of his press conferences mentioned keanu pinder and that we shouldn't talk about the player he was we should talk about the player he is i didn't really agree with that sentiment because i like the idea of recognizing and appreciating like the growth yeah um and how much a guy has learned and how much he's, he's gotten better and the improvements he's made like, i think pointing to the development is I think more instructive than just pointing to the cool, great player that he is right now. So I feel like he's a good example of a guy who, a lot of tools, lean in, lean into those tools and see if you can get a really quality player out of it. So I think, yeah, he's playing an MVP level basketball right now, but I like the idea of seeing where he came from and how he got from point A to point B. 
Yep, growth is important to acknowledge, but uh, I probably won't go back and listen to our first podcast we did together. I'll, so I don't think I want to look back, but hopefully <laughs> we're following a, a similar trajectory. Exactly. Point to the growth. All right, let's wrap this up. Next Tuesday, we will be back. Uh, Olgs, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. See everybody.